0: episode of the beyond the snap podcast uh, this is the magical 10 uh, the 10th episode uh, gonna have to start using other fingers now maybe toes something like that we'll get into it we'll figure it out that is the 10th episode of doing this podcast thank you all for your support uh, as always please go subscribe to youtube go watch our videos there super interesting engaging informative wonderful entertaining all of the stuff all right but as you know, we don't like to bury the lead too much on this show, so we're going to get right into it. And we've got kind of like, a, this is going to be a little bit of a college football newsroom uh, as this offseason has yielded us some news. So Kyrton, uh go ahead and kick us off.
1: Alrighty, so we're going to start off this by talking about Sarkisian's New Deal. We're going to get into NCAA 25. We're going to be talking about Florida State. And so let's talk about Sark's New Deal. Um... Is it deserved? Yes. Is he going to live up to how much money that Texas is going to pay him? Maybe. Uh, the reason I said Sharky has just signed a brand new, I believe it was what, five-year deal? Five to ten-year deal?
0: I think it's a seven-year deal exactly. Yeah, but seven-year as, deal. As with any of those things, there's some room for improvement or disimprovement.
1: And I want y'all to remember, this is Texas we're talking about. He signed a ten million deal per year, so he'll be racking in the money. He'll be making seventy million dollars at the end of it under a ten point three million dollar deal. Um, I believe this is deserved. I think if you take a team that I believe was a five hundred team when you got there, you beat uh Bama your first year, you beat them again, or you beat you beat Bama your second year, you lose to them by three your first year. I mean, that's impressive stuff. The problem is that he does look like a deer in the headlight sometimes. Early on, when he first got to Texas, he looked like he was playing conservative. And that's why he lost a couple of the Red River showdowns. But now, Sharky coming into his own. He's making the ballsy calls. He's like your Dan Campbell if Dan Campbell was tan, essentially. So, yeah, he makes all these fourth down risky decisions. Uh, again, he's making a lot of money. He is Sharky. He did take a team to the number three speed, uh, seed, and the question is, is Sky's the limit? Are they going to be able to beat Georgia? No. Are they going to be able to make it to the national championship? Maybe. But it's just stuff like that, and so I think he deserves the deal. I don't know how well tech is going to be, though. Kieran, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, so I got a couple of things. The first thing is this is the premium price that it takes to keep a head coach, because I'm just going to lay it out for you. So there were 14 in the playoff. Harbaugh went to the Chargers, the coach of Michigan. Uh, Kalen DeBoer left Washington for Alabama. Nick Saban retired. And Sark is the only one still there. So that's part of this lucrative deal to try and keep him along uh, and along for the ride and around. So the only other thing that I have to say about this is this is too long. Um you know, I understand the way this is done, but the seven year deal is way too long just for Texas and for college football in general. I mean, they're not, anyone that doesn't have a crystal ball or magical, you know, prophetic capabilities does not know what college football will look like at all in seven years. We have two years of what the playoff format's going to be. We don't know what the conferences are going to look like. And while it is safe to say there will be college football in Texas, we'll have a Football program. Can Sark coach that new style? What will the new style be? And all those are operative questions that I think need to be addressed. So to me, the seven year deal is if I'm the athletic director of Texas, you know, I'm really looking for more of a, you know, you're trying to reassure Sark and keep him around less than you're actually intending to guarantee he will be there for seven years because I think that's ridiculous. And even Sark knows. But that that's not possible. But moving Already. on. Uh, Wait, real fast, real next... fast.
1: Yeah. Um, There's something that I didn't mention and that Kieran didn't mention. And that's also where you haven't talked about the perks of this deal either. Like, uh, just so you all know, it's not just the money. $10.3 million is a lot. But Texas is also throwing in some perks. I don't know if Kieran knew this, but he will be paid. He's will be paid $300,000 prior to April 1st. So in less than two months, he'll be making, like, what the top 0.1% of Americans make. And he gets 20 hours on the UT private jet for free for his—just whatever he wants to use it for. He wants to go to Vegas? Yeah, sure, two-hour flight. Take your private jet. Like, its small stuff like this is another reason why he's staying. He's staying because he's making the bag now, but he's also getting private, like, a private jet— Up to twelve tickets and one sweep for all home games. Up to eight tickets for every single away game, uh, and an annual performance incentive that maxes out at one point eight five million dollars if he makes it to the postseason. I mean, so he's getting—he's staying around because of money, and it's—it also comes with perks. I mean, that's just Texas for y'all.
0: Yeah, that's important to mention. Um, But that's also kind of some standard contract written in, kind of the deal. Uh, But again, good dimension, uh, and that's kind of the way it's going to go and the way it's going to flow. So uh, moving on, perhaps the most exciting bit of news for those of you that uh, like to picture yourself in the driver's seat and pretend like you get paid millions and millions of dollars and have a private jet, when in reality all you're doing is sitting in your mom's basement, NCAA 25 is coming out. So just for the sake of – saying that I, too, am not immune to the NCAA craze. It is likely that I will buy my first and only ever console, surely so that I can play this game. It has been too long, and being able to build the dynasty at McNeese State or wherever I can possibly find to build a dynasty and beat Alabama and all of the other programs is something that appeals to me very much. But, yes, so the trailer was dropped. Uh, it looks like it's going to be released later this summer with like full, I guess, gameplay or whatever trailer uh, in May. Um, this isn't something we want to spend too much time on, but your thoughts, Kierton, the gamer of the two of us.
1: Yeah, I game and I love Madden. I love uh, FIFA. I love 2K. I play all these games because I'm a big sports fanatic uh, online. Uh, I was just showing Kieran less than like 15 minutes ago when we started the podcast that I was playing a game of like PGA golf, and so I love the trailer and I love the motive behind it. We saw in EA Madden that you could technically have a cutscene with a couple of teams. Those teams included like Florida, Texas, Bama, um, Oklahoma, Miami, and so it only included a like thirteen teams, and those were some of my favorite like cutscenes because then I could go play in the national championship, hoist the trophy. And then even if you lost, there was, like, a cutscene of him holding, like, a paper one. But now we get a fully, um, like, um, a full immersion into the game. And I don't know if you all have seen the trailer. Karen will run it in the editing. But in this trailer, you have them looking inside the locker room. You see all the different chants. You see all the different, like, the Penn State guy waving, the Penn State cougar waving around, or the mountaineer, uh, mountain lion, wherever it is. Mitt Nittany lion. This, Mit- Mit- Mitney Mitney lion. lion. Waving around the flag, you see Bebo getting released, you see the Oklahoma like um what do you call it, like bubble thing they come out of. And so it's gonna be such a cold, cold game. Uh I'm so hyped for it. I'm so hyped to see all the different jerseys, especially with the 12 team playoffs. Uh I can ramble on and on about this, but this is gonna be one of the best games. And I have a proposition that Kieran doesn't know about. We are currently sitting at 805 views. If we can hit a thousand viewers. By the release of the game, so by if we get a 1,000 viewers by, we'll say April 1st, or whenever the trailer comes out, me and Karen will both play a special, we'll play the moment the game comes out, or as soon as we can get our hands on the game, and we'll do a special episode that includes our gameplay as well.
0: Yep, sounds like a deal. That's definitely going to happen, so you're definitely going to see that. I don't know what he's exactly talking about, but... Make it happen, or, I mean, it'll be there. So we will be playing NCAA 25 against each other on Karen console at some point, and you will get to see it in some shape or form, and hopefully we don't get sued. So
1: I'll uh, use FIU, and Kieran our... can use Texas, and I'll still beat them.
0: That's crazy. All right, so uh, despite the slander from my partner sitting across the desk here um, – we're going to move on to our next little tidbit of news, which is Florida State uh, in a battle with the ACC. Um, basically, it's a very messy legal battle, uh, and neither of us are lawyers. Neither of us are really legal experts, so we're not going to get into it too much. But suffice to say that the ACC is trying to throw out Florida's uh, State's grant of rights argument. So they were saying that, right, with the grant of rights, so the, what's giving them money from television basically uh, expires and they could get out of it. Uh, a, the ACC is trying to throw that out because obviously they want Florida State to remain in the ACC. Uh, but that's an ongoing legal battle that has potentially huge implications. And, you know, what do you think is going to happen if Florida State is is able to get out of the ACC? And what do you think is going to happen if they're not able to get out of the ACC? Kirsten
1: Um, I'm gonna keep this short. So the two things that Karen said, if they get, if they let's say they leave the ACC, this is going to be a major loss to the ACC because if we look at the numbers, we saw that Florida State was generating essentially ninety percent of the revenue besides from Clemson or UNC or teams like that. And the reason I say this is because the Florida State was the number four team. They went undefeated. They were predicted to be in the playoffs. And so ACC was making so much money off of television, off of everything that showed Florida State. It didn't matter if it was the, I believe this year it was the Chick-fil-A Bowl that they played against um, Georgia or whatever bowl it was, but they got so much money from that. They got money, they get a cut for every single um, marketing that they had to Florida State online. And so if the ACC loses Florida State, they're going to lose a lot of money unless they have another team that is Florida State's caliber, and the next one up, I can assume only is like Clemson, essentially, or another team like that that will bounce back. And like we saw with Clemson, if Clemson's the one seed, they'll drain the profits. And right now, Florida State is the best team. And if they stay, or if they leave, AC will lose. And if they stay, this will be just a detriment because I think we're going to get one of those um, Texas versus um, Texas versus Big Twelves where Texas wants to leave, Texas is going to look to leave, it's going to create bad blood, ACC is not going to like Texas, uh, or ACC is not going to like Florida State, This is the same way Big 12 didn't like Texas. And so it's going to be like one of those situations where that means if they stay now, they're just going to wait until they find a bigger deal, a bigger horse like the SEC to come and take them.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much, I would say that is very valid analysis. Some might say expert. Um, And I have wrote in parentheses on our rundown next to this little news bulletin, this little news nugget. Yikes. Um, So a head coach at the FBS level, sorry, FCS level, has moved to the FBS level to become a tight end coach. Um, So we've seen from head coach to coordinator moves. We've seen that a couple times. But Georgia State coach, uh, their head coach, Sean Elliott, moved to become the tight end coach at South Carolina. Um so first of all, Kierton, what do you think of this? And second of all, what do you think that they are technically playing for the same championship?
1: Uh well that's wild. That's a wild take. Um I'm gonna say that I think this is a good move. Um Based off of what I know, I think that he is climbing the ladder. I think the move from Georgia State was smart. And I think that we have to give um we have to give Sean Elliott his flowers. I mean, of course you're not gonna be the head coach now. You're just gonna be a measly tight end coach. You're not gonna get as much recognition if you do well. Uh you're not gonna get a lot of the praise. But as we see with coaches at all levels, whether that's high school, whether that's college, um coaches will go bounce around from team to team. They'll make that they'll take a really bad team that was maybe two and eight, and they'll make that team six and four, and then they'll move on to a different team, and then they'll take that team and they'll move them up. And so it's basically building a reputation for being an outstanding coach. And so I think the move was good for him. I think he's gonna provide for his family. I think it might have been a little annoying for the Georgia State kids that committed, and that's always what it is whenever a head coach leaves. you lose confidence in your team. And who knows, sometimes you get kicked out of varsity. Um, just so we were just talking, uh it was just a big thing if that happens in Georgia State. And so Georgia State is gonna not be that great for them, especially now that they don't have a coach, they're gonna be scrambling. But for the coach's sake, I think this is a great move for Sean Elliott. I think he's going to do wonders, and I hopefully hopefully he's gonna find another job. He's gonna keep moving up the ladder. Karen, your thoughts? Yeah, so
0: I'm gonna make A somewhat bold statement here, and I'm going to make the statement that there has been in the background, we haven't seen it, there has been a stacking of various items of furniture and other things that coaches have left behind when they move from one type of caliber of position, one head coaching position, to another lower position in what would be considered a higher up division. And every time they do this, another little piece of furniture gets added, creating this, you know, large cartoon-esque type stack. And the last furniture piece, maybe it was an alarm clock or something of that nature, has tipped this stack. And what what I'm saying here is, to me, this is what opens the floodgates. I think if you're not talking about seriously that the FCS and the FBS should not be playing for the same championship, anymore that I mean to me that's ridiculous uh, that there is a coach that's you know a head coach in one champion in subdivision and then it's the same technically still division one right is moving up to the next subdivision and that now he's gonna be a um, position coach but to me that's kind of crazy and you know why are they playing for the same championship uh, well, but, Kirtan, uh what do you think about that?
1: Uh, I think that's actually a very valid point. But then I added some questions that I was just wondering for you. So, first off, I was wondering, do you think that this Okay, hold was... on. Sorry,
0: sorry. Correction. I've been saying this wrong. Georgia State is an FBS team. Sorry. I've mixed up all of the letters. Georgia State is an FBS team. They're a group of five team. Uh, and he Moving moved from a group five. of five to power five, exactly, from a – defensive uh, or from the head coach position to the tight end coach position. I just want to make that clear. So it's not there. They are actually literally playing for the same championship. I just mixed up my FCS. Uh, I apologize. And it is late and I am tired.
1: All right. Um, right.
0: But yes, Kirtan, your questions.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So that cleared up one question. So that's a good thing. Um, The second question was going to be, do you think this move was strictly based off of money per se, because we know South Carolina um, they are a big, big, um, what do you call it, football program compared to measly Georgia State. And so do we look at this and say, like, was this move strictly based off of how much money he's going to make? Because even as a tight end coach, you're still going to a D1 program nonetheless, like a really a decent D1 program rather than Georgia State, like I've been saying. So do you think that he's getting paid a substantial amount more that he's the tight end coach? Or do you think it's because they're looking at his production at tight end, they're looking at what he did in the, a uh, group of five stage and now saying, does that correlate?
0: So I think that it could be both, but honestly, so you have to evaluate, there's kind of like a pay structure, right? And we don't see very much of this as the fans, but your head coaches, depending on the coach, depending on what they're worth, is making somewhere from, you know, maybe 10 million to 5 million. Right. And then your coordinators like T-Rob, um, at, these are very high caliber schools, very rich schools are going to be making somewhere, you know, a million, 1.3, somewhere in there, right? And then your position coaches, which are, again, going to be under them, are probably making 500 grand. You know, these are rough numbers. Could be less, could be more. I'd imagine at South Carolina it's a little less than that because that's like Tavares Robinson, Georgia Bama, all of that, right, and that salary debate. Um, But I would also imagine that Georgia State's head coach has to be at least comparable to that. Because while they are a group of five program, they're still an FBS program. They're still, you know, one of the top 133 teams in football. Um, so I would imagine that he's not – if he is getting a raise, it's not huge, uh, at least not huge to, uh, to them. It may be, you know, several tens of thousands of dollars, which would be a lot of money to people like us, but it's not to them and in the college football world. I'm guessing it's more motivated in the fact that he sees the fact that South Carolina – has not been doing great and it's not likely that you could get a head coach from, you know, a well-known university. It's not like you could go poach someone at South Carolina, but he sees the possibility to slowly work his way up through the offensive staff. And then when it does come come time, unfortunately, as much as I love Beamer ball, if he doesn't succeed, uh, and doesn't do well there, if it's time to can him, then, you know, there he is right there. Oh, I've got head coaching experience at this level. I can do this blah, this, I did this, right? And he can pitch his resume to the staff and hopefully get that job. So I would honestly think that's probably the greater motivation than necessarily pay. Uh, but yes, that is my answer to that question. I have a question for you, however. Do you believe that the FBS should stay as it is now with Group of Five and Power Five, or should there be a Group of Five playoff?
1: Um. Well, I didn't know the official ruling on it, but I believe after we did our research, we know that at least one Group of Five team makes the College Football Playoff, right?
0: Yeah, it so, like it could be two.
1: Yeah, and this, I feel like it was absurd. So first off, I want to say that I believe sooner or later all conferences will basically go away and it'll be under the entity of the NCAA and then they'll just distribute games that way. But I do believe that there should be a playoff because this is going to be a really bold statement, but I don't think if you give me the best or the the top two, top three power five schools and you play them against the number 25 ranked school or hell, the number 50 school, I don't think they win. And I think they lose by like a considerable amount. I don't think Appalachian State can beat uh, I think they can take down top-tier teams. I've seen them do it. I've seen them be giant killers. But do I really believe they'll be good enough to be in the 12-team playoff and beat a team like Ole Miss, beat a team that we have predicted like Mizzou? No, I absolutely do not believe so. I find the entire idea of having a group of five team in the playoff to be absurd because, like I said, the best team will not be um, that will not be better than the number 12 team in the nation, and the number 12 team is the number 12 power five teams who I'm referring to. And so to answer Kieran's question, I absolutely do believe there should be a um, a group of five playoff. And the reason I say this is because even if we do allow them into, the, into our playoffs, into the big power five playoffs, then at least we know we're getting the number one talent. We're getting the best team through and through as they've already played and been ranked amongst themselves and played amongst themselves. And they've come out on top. We know we're getting the best of the best. And the fact that even if they lose, because I think for the next three to four years, no group of five team is going to be like no 12 seed is going to be the two seed or whatever seed they get put at. I don't think that will ever happen. And so for that reason alone, I don't think that we need to be worried per se about the, the actual playoff. We need to be worried about the group of five playoff. And so they can say, look, We may not have made it to the actual, like, we may not have gone that far in the playoffs. We might have just been the team that got thrown in there. But we did win these last four years in the group of five playoff. We are a good team. And with more talent, we'll build and we'll become a power five team or just as good as a power five team. And we'll start winning games in the actual playoffs.
0: Yeah, I think that's all valid. I think that's a great take. Uh, We, however, are going to move on. and. So we're going to give you a little bit of a recruiting readout. Um, just looking early to the next class. Uh, this class is pretty much wrapped up. We've talked about that and talked about it on signing day. Uh, and almost all those early commitments are enrolled. And we'll start getting reviews and reports of how they're doing. And we'll relay those to you as soon as possible. But now we're going to talk about how the race for the class of 2025 uh, is beginning. Uh, and the first key point is that Ryan Williams is going to stay with Bama. Uh, now, I think that's a very important recruiting for them as they're able to bounce back and kind of try and do a reload instead of a rebuild. Kyrton?
1: Um I think that is a great point. Uh, sorry for that loud noise. A um, One of my my Apple Watch fell off the table. But anyways – I think it's good to start looking at the 2025 class, um, especially the fact that Alabama, like you said, is reloading, not rebuilding. Uh, and this is the smartest move I think Kalen DeBoer can make in the current situation he's in. He doesn't want to sacrifice his position because we still know that no matter what happens, Bama's Bama. Bama has culture, and culture, I think, to some extent, is more important is more of a factor than the coach. And I know that's a really bold take, but I do think fact, uh, culture will play more into work, work ethic. We'll play more into how you go to games, how you approach games, your mentality. And so Bama is still Bama in that sense. And so the fact that he's not absolutely sacrificing it and saying, look, guys, we're done. We know we're going to be cooked for the next two seasons. We're sucked now that Saban leaves. So now we got to start building from the ground up. He's just going to try to keep in the talent. He's going to keep using that motto. And we've actually covered this in episode one of the podcast. Go check it out. We talked about the fact that he's going to uh, – that Bama is notorious and teams are notorious for playing the culture card, saying, look, we may not be the strongest anymore. We might not be the flashiest anymore, but we have culture. We know we can get you to the NFL. We've sent the most people ever to the NFL behind, like, Oklahoma. And so he can play that card. He can say, look, we're going to get you there. You just need to follow us. And I think it's such a smart move because this is why people like Ryan Williams are staying. He's going to reload, like Kieran said, instead of rebuild. He's not going to start from ground up. And so he'll still have a foundation and he can always refer to that foundation. Karen, your thoughts?
0: Yeah. So I agree with your talk that, uh, that for sure culture is more important than talent. I mean, we're seeing it more and more. The talented teams have to have culture and composure and otherwise they're going to get beat, right? They can You can be out-athleted and still win the game. Michigan is a great example of that. Washington, to some extent, was a great example of that this past year. And I think Bama can be an example of that. They certainly have the potential to be. And I also think that it's huge for their momentum because he's a five-star. He's big. He's flashy. He's, you know, I mean, he's still, at the end of the day, a kid out of high school. But he's big, flashy, and skilled. Um, But I I think that that's going to help them – tremendously in maintaining momentum because they can say, well, he trusts Kalen DeBoer. Well, he trusts the new staff. Well, he's still going to come here, right? Or he? Well, he's still risking his career, right? Whatever all that is. And that gives them momentum. That gives them potential. Um, and, I, and I think that that's going to be a big boon to them in the near future. So all, we're going to go ahead and talk about how the race for the class of 2025 – uh, is beginning here a little bit. So right now, Notre Dame actually has the number one ranked recruiting class. A little fun fact. LSU is at two. Clemson, uh, I believe, is at three. Ohio State, four. Oklahoma, five. Penn State, six. Seven, Auburn. Eight, Georgia. Yikes. Nine, Wisconsin. Ten, Tennessee. Eleven, Baylor. Twelve, Oregon. Thirteen, Texas Tech. And fourteen, Texas uh, we're just going to go through the top 20 here. 15, Florida State. 16, Florida. 17, North Carolina. 18, Iowa. 19, are you ready? UCF. And 20, Miami. So these classes are not baked or really put together well at all. Um, even Notre Dame has 14 commit or 16 commits. Uh, and that's their whole class right now. Uh, most guys only have a couple of commits. Texas only has five commits, you know. The Florida's and four states only got four, three, or two, right? And that recruiting class, as it starts to shape and as it starts to take form, is going to dictate kind of of, down the road into this next era who we might see on the field. Uh, And obviously, that's not the end all, be all, but there will be a lots of um, you know more certainly different and interesting player commits and decisions and all of that. And we'll learn more about these guys through this coming year. Uh, But there is one player that I wanted to highlight real quick. And we'll get your thoughts on the class of 2025, Kirton. But there's one player that I wanted to highlight that I saw recently uh, on some tape and I was watching his highlights. Uh, And his name is uh, Mason Posa. And he's from uh, New Mexico. I believe the high school is – let me get it up here just so I don't uh, get it wrong. He is out of, he's out of a high school out of Albuquerque. Um, and I was really impressed with his film. He's a dynamic uh, linebacker out of La Cueva High School. Uh, very fast, really all over the field. Uh, you could see him get um, miss the play, right, get behind the play, and then come all the way across the hashes to the opposite numbers and still get the play, uh, make a big play, and go crazy. And he's very physical. Um, he's dominant. He's got a good football IQ from watching him. And he's currently ranked as a four-star, and he's got offers from Alabama, Arizona, Arizona State, Baylor, Cal, Duke, lots of different places, but he's very good. Um, he's not the biggest guy physically, but he's certainly very talented and can move around and knows his way around the football field. And I just wanted to highlight, as you may see, his name come up as the next kind of almost T.J. Watt style, can play edge, can go coverage, can roll around, uh, can really attack the quarterback. And he is could potentially be the next uh, kind of T.J. Watt-style player, and that's just a little bit of analysis and an in-depth breakdown on one recruit that I saw recently that sufficiently impressed me. Uh, but your thoughts on the class of 2025,
1: Kyrton? Yeah, I think the class of 2025 is coming off a, like like Kieran said, a half-baked um, class so far as far as we know because, again, it's very early on into the 2025 recruitment year as 2024 has just closed up. Um, Things I want to highlight, Karen did say Notre Dame is number one in all of the recruiting, followed by LSU, Clemson, Ohio State. The reason why I'm actually shocked about Notre Dame being number one is because if you look at all, all of Notre Dame's um, players that they are recruiting, they are actually not that many ranked in the top 100. A lot of it is just that people are coming over because of the fact it's Notre Dame because it's independent, and they're just able to bring in waves of people slowly and surely. Because Notre Dame also has a thing that uh, lots of teams don't have and lots of colleges don't have, and that's uh, religion is tied into it. Like TCU, but Notre Dame especially, because I believe it's a Protestant. I don't, don't want to be getting all into that, but I'm just saying they have another extra reason for them to tie in players wanting to come, players that are religiously devoted to whatever um, form of Christianity that is or Catholicism, Um The only reason I'm just talking about this is I'm saying like that's why I think Notre Dame is number one, because if we really look at number two and number three, we're looking at LSU, we're looking at Notre Dame or LSU, we're looking at Clemson, we're looking at um, Ohio State. Clemson, if no one knows, has already secured the number one ranked player, Bryce Underwood from Belleville, Michigan. He is a five-star quarterback, 99 composite score, and he just signed with LSU. Or he didn't sign; he committed to LSU, which is a great thing for LSU, as LSU now has him, and they were able to secure the number five player from Duncanville zone, from Texas' zone, to Corian Moore. He's a five-star wide receiver, and he's the number one at his position. Um, This class seems really good. I haven't seen much film in them. I know Kieran watches a, lot, a little bit more film than I do, but you can tell, based off of just the recruiting, that it's shaking out the same way we see uh, we hardly see LSU jumping so high, but we do see the same names of Ohio State securing number four, Devin Sanchez and Naeem Oford. Uh, we see Ohio State even getting Tavion St. Clair, the quarterback from, uh, I believe it is Bella Fontaine, Ohio. And so I think sooner or later, we're going to actually see Ohio State take over, especially in this class, because like we said in previous episodes, Ohio State has beefed up their team. Not or not for future years, but right now. Quinch on Judkins, um, Chip Kelly as a coach. I feel like if you're just bringing in this much talent, then people are going to be naturally attracted to you. Uh, I'm shocked that Texas isn't hired. You would think Charkis would already be working on figuring out the 2025 class. Or maybe he's focused on this year. And so, it, again, there's another scenario. Our team's more caring about the future in the 2025. Are they in that phase? Or are they in the win at all cost phase? And I think you a really good team is a team that can balance both, like Ohio State, like Georgia, like Texas are currently. Those are my thoughts, Kieran. What's next?
0: Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, we're gonna segue into a segment we've been doing. Uh, this is the last big major Power Four, three something like that conference. Really, it's Power Two, but we 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 tell ourselves it's Power Four. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and give you all a breakdown of the Big Twelve uh, and. That's kind of going to be uh, – <laughs> there you go. We're going to give you a little coverage of that. So, for the Big 12, uh, my I'm going to give you my champion and my championship game and a little rationale, and then we're going to kick it to Kyrton for his thoughts. I have the champion is Arizona. So, I don't know if you all know, but Noah Fafita is still there. I watched him in their bowl game against Oklahoma. I watched him in several games throughout the season. He looks really good, guys. I mean, he's. He, I'm serious. He's the stuff. He's got it. He's able to have his pocket poise. He's able to tuck it. He's able to get out of the pockets. He's able to get out of bad situations. He doesn't make rookie mistakes. He's still young, but he's got a huge football IQ and a huge acumen for the sport. And to me, he's really going to be good for them next year. And Noah Fafia and then uh, Tito Rowe McMillan and all of their weapons that they have, to me allows them to be the most standout and uh, showy offense in the big 12. And I think that they're going to win it and they're going to be able to take home the championship over Utah and Cam rising the championship game, who I think will have a great season this year. They've got, you know, their quarterback is back. They're bouncing back. They're getting better. But I think Arizona is just a little more flashy there. They can play a physical brand of football too. Don't get me wrong but I think they're going to be able to just outgun them a little bit uh, in the championship and win it. But Kierton, who do you got for your champion and for the championship
1: game? Alrighty. So for the champion of the big 12 season, it's going to be Utah Utes. I know Kieran just said that Arizona was going to play them and Kieran hit the nail on the head too for Utah. when he was talking about them, the reason I say this is because Utah, you're bringing back Cam rising who we knew Tory's Achilles early on the season And then everything went downhill. Everything tanked. Everything looked bad. But now this is your season of revenge. This is, look, we're not in the Pac-12 anymore. No more dealing with USC. No more dealing with Oregon. Now we can focus on our game, and we know we can be the top team. I think they're going to have an outstanding uh, rejuvenance of a year. They're going to come back. They're going to have that feeling. They're going to be in good times. And I believe for the championship game, they're going to end up playing – Kansas now I know this is a really hot really really hot take the reason I say Kansas is because Kansas is an outstanding talent Kansas has some of the best um quarterback or has the best quarterback in my opinion I've already said it once I'll say it again he is going to be the Heisman candidate slash winner um Jalen Daniels he's an outstanding talent I think that entire Kansas team is shaping up to have a really good year we saw what they did last year. They showed us little glimpses of hope whenever they beat Oklahoma when Texas couldn't. That was a big thing. And I think Kansas, they're going to be one of those teams. It's like, look, we don't know much about them, but they might be a dark horse. content to my next episode. Um, just so you know. So that's what I'm saying. I think Kansas will be an outstanding talent. I think Kansas is going to be a surprise team. However, I don't have them as my surprise team. And I'm going to get to that right after Kieran tells us about his surprise team.
0: Yeah, so my surprise team, uh, this honestly surprised me a little bit. But I think there's only really one way to go for this, uh, and that's Iowa State, the Cyclones. They have been getting better. They looked really good towards the end of the season. They've got a young quarterback. They've got all the upsides and all the perks of a surprise team. So I don't know what the line is, what the numbers are on the over under for the season, the season record. Uh, for Iowa State right now, but, I mean, if it's low, if it looks good, if it's anywhere under eight, I think that's a good bet to take the over. They've got a crazy good uh, staff, and Matt Campbell there is doing well. And to me, I think that they're going to be they, – they've got huge upside. Um, and they just have that something, right? They've been able to improve. They took some tough losses. But I think they're going to bounce back next year with Rocco... <coughs> excuse me. Excuse me, that's horrible. Um, for the Rocco Beck quarterback. And to me, that's just going to be the difference. And they're going to be able to be that surprise, dark horse, Big 12 team next year.
1: Alrighty. So for my surprise team of the year, I have... <clears throat> Colorado. Um, yeah. So let me paint you a picture. I want everyone to close their eyes and listen to this story. Think about this. One day you're walking around town, you're a five-star commit. You know, life is good. You have Kirby Smart asking you to come win a national championship for free. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna say with them. But then one day down the street, you see these two men. Sitting in a Rolls-Royce Cullinan that way. A Cullinan Rolls-Royce. And you see both of them have glasses on. One of them has a shirt with, or has a chain with the number two on it. And the other one says Prime Time. Sponsored by Logan Paul Prime. And you see these glasses, and you see this guy. And you say, whoa, that is the greatest, greatest cornerback ever to play the sport. And he says, come play for me. Well, my name is Travis Hunter, and I dropped all the teams I wanted to meet, and I signed with Jackson State, baby. So that's what I'm trying to say. I'm saying Colorado would be the surprise team because of the hype. The only reason Colorado beat TCU last year, hype. The only reason Colorado beat anyone last year, hype. That's all it was. You can take it with a grain of salt. The only reason Colorado won was because the name. The name of primetime brought in talent, and that's all it was. All it was. You can say whatever you want. You could say he's a great coach. Look, I'm impartial to the man. I think he's a decent coach. I think he's a decent guy. But I do think his name carries more weight than his coaching reputation or his repertoire. So for that reason, I'm going to say that Colorado is your surprise team just because they bring in the talent uh, week in and week out. And we know that talent, here's a great saying for all of y'all who want to be motivated. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And if Colorado can just get their talent to work hard, they will be a great team. They will be the surprise team. And who knows, they can probably beat, I don't know, Utah if they chose to. Kieran, what's next?
0: That's a little crazy. Also, I would, for the sake of posterity, like to point out uh, that, in fact, their hype makes them not a surprise because you expect it. Oh, not be that good. Just a little bit of wisdom. Uh, they are from the more sane, better, and handsomer, if I do say so myself, of your two. They lost to Stanford. Okay, whatever. Um, so, your letdown team next year, I think, is another team with a rookie-ish quarterback. I mean, he's got some playing time, but not as much as he'd like, obviously. Uh, unfortunately, Chris Kleinman and the Wildcats are going to have to just let us down this year. I'm sorry, Kansas State fans but Kansas State is in fact my letdown team. I just think that they're not going to be able to present themselves the same way they were this year. They have had a lot of change and they were able to still do well this year, but they weren't able to do as well as they could have. uh, And they weren't able to do as well as they would have liked. So to me, I think they're going to fall off. I don't think there's any really increase in momentum there. Chris Kleiman is a great coach, no fault to him, but to me, I don't think just Avery Johnson is going to be able to get it done, right? They were a very good team this year. They took Texas down to the wire, probably took a few years off my life. But, you know, it it is what it is, and I just don't think they're going to be very good next year in terms of just with the flood of new talent coming into the Big 12. I think that they're, instead of, you know, floating to the top, they're going to kind of start to sink towards the bottom, and that's really the only reason they're a letdown. But, Kirtan, what is your letdown team?
1: Already, my letdown team, this is going to be another controversial pick, but I have Houston Cougars. And the reason I say it's Houston Cougars is because Houston's a um, – how do I put this? They're a good team. They're just not there yet. They're not at the peak. They are still in the hard knock space, kind of like this podcast. Go subscribe. Um They are in the hard knocks phase where they're trying to get better slowly and slowly, and they've done so. I mean, last season we saw them actually make an improvement. Of course, they still finished four and eight, but they took Texas to a seven point game. They beat teams like UTSA, who you didn't expect. You wouldn't expect them to beat West Virginia, who they beat, and they beat Baylor in overtime. So they've beaten decent teams. It's just they're still in that hard knocks phase. I do think that sooner or later they'll get over that mountain. I think when Donovan Smith, their quarterback, becomes a senior, I think they'll be a much better team, but I'm just taking a look at their schedule right now, and based off what I see, all I see is a lot of losses. I see a loss of UNLV to open the season, I see you losing to the Sooners, you have a chance to beat Rice, a chance to beat Cincinnati, but then Iowa State, TCU, Kansas, Utah, Kansas State, Arizona? I mean that entire stretch just seems like unwinnable games and I feel like if y'all go on a cold streak, there's no saying of what could happen. And honestly, I can assume the worst and I can say, I think you lose every single one of those games starting with Iowa State. And that'll just deteriorate you, they'll deteriorate the team. But I wish you guys had some more con or uh, I wish you guys had some more bigger opponents, like a Texas to play, so you can get your name out there. You can say, Hey, look, we are able to hang with the big foes because we got nothing to lose. And so this season I think will be make or break, and I do see y'all breaking. So.
0: All right, So, so I'm going to continue uh, with my worst team, uh, and that is going to be the Arizona State Sun Devils. I'm sorry, I just don't see a way. Uh, they were not good in the Pac-12 last year, and I think they're going to be even surpassed by teams like SMU uh, and other teams like uh, UCF and a lot of those teams. And they're just going to filter to the bottom, even past Houston and all those teams to settle as a sort of catfish, if you will, a catfish in the desert, uh, as one of the bottom feeders of the Big 12 next year. And I don't really have a whole lot to say because there's not a whole lot to say about Arizona State because, frankly, there's not a whole lot going on in Arizona State. But that is my worst team. And, Kyrton, what is yours?
1: Um. Well, there happened to be technical difficulties, and I read my notes for Houston as the worst team rather than being my disappointment. So by the power of editing, which I know Kieran's not going to do that much editing, but please switch this and put disappointment team and put Houston as worst team. Um, real quick, since I messed that up, I'm going to go through my disappointment team real fast. My disappointment team is going to be Arizona. I think Arizona had an outstanding season last. I don't see it carrying over. I see all, a lot of those players transfer out, even though they had a policy where they were actually trying to retain as much players as possible. Um, I just don't see them having the same effective season. I think it's one of those boom seasons, and now you're going to come back to reality. Luckily, you're going to get a lot of recruits because of that. And so since I'm going on really fast, I'm just going to say, Arizona, you're going to be good. Y'all are going to win a couple games. Then you're going to lose to Kansas State. I think you're going to take a loss to Kansas. You're going to take a loss to Utah. But then I think you clear out your season, and it depends on who you play for your non-district games, and so stuff like that. And then going back over for my uh, worst team, Houston. Houston, you're not good enough. Houston, you're 4-8 and eight last season. Houston, you have a really tough schedule with, like, seven games free. You're not going to do well. Y'all are probably going to go 4-8, probably 4-9, 2-10. Two, two, I don't really know. I hope y'all do well. Uh, That's it. Kieran.
0: That was the fastest I've ever heard someone speak. I think you can you you need to quit podcasting and go become an auctioneer, my friend. Uh, but moving on. And for those of you on the podcast, none of that will be fixed. For those of you watching on the video, most of it probably won't be fixed. So you just all heard the uh, sheer panic and letdown that happens when Kirtan finds out that he can't read.
1: Eight thirty-one. Right, so, it's, it's nighttime.
0: The coach and the player of the year. Uh, that we're going to just go ahead and talk about a little bit is my coach is Matt Campbell uh, at Iowa state. I think they're a good team and I think he's leading them to on the up and up. And that's why I think he's going to get the award. Simple as that. We will predict records later uh, in a future episode of beyond the snap, but that is that. And my player is of course, Noah Fafita. Who else? I think he's going to be the best quarterback in the big 12 I think he is a franchisement candidate. I think he's got loaded weapons, and I think he's crazy good. He's showing crazy potential, and he's played really well. Kirtan,
1: Alrighty, let's hope I don't mess this up. Okay, so for the coach of the year, I have a cop-out answer, like I always do. Um, This is going to be Deion Sanders. The reason I say this is not because I think he's going to be the best coach. I highly doubt that. It's going to be because Big 12 was happening right now. Um, let's see. SEC has basically dominated you and stole your two best teams. Big Ten overshadows you, and you guys now—they're basically your dad. So yeah. Um, this is going to be a big thing if they can promote the prime, the prime time, the neon Dion. And so that's going to be the main reason why they're going to win, uh, or why deon Sanders is going to win the uh, award because they need to promote. It's going to be media, and I think. This is going to be a reason why I'm going to tune out of the Big 12 a little bit more this season is because I feel like if they start leaning so heavily on Colorado and the media to basically push the Big 12's agenda, it's going to be unfun to watch because there's players, there's teams like Mike Gundy, like Oklahoma State, that I think will probably deserve the award again because, of course, I think Oklahoma State's a dark horse for the Big 12, and so for that reason, I say Deion Sanders will win it, not deservingly, but because of what Big 12 needs. And then for the player, I say it once, I say it twice, I say it a million times. Jalen Daniels, the quarterback of Kansas, uh, Jayhawks. Insanely good talent. I've seen what he's done on and off the field. He is just a trendsetter. Um, He played with like a back spasm, I believe, in one of the games, and he still played out of his mind. Dual threat reminds me of Louisville Lamar Jackson. Makes always the good reads. And I think if he stays healthy this year, he's going to be a Heisman candidate. Uh, he will be the Heisman winner. And I think he will, by default, will have to be the best player in all of Big 12.
0: All right. Well, there you go. Uh, I will say, Big 12 fans, I'm here for you. I will watch all the games. I will pay attention. I will love you. You have a home with me, if not with Kirtan. So please go watch the jump. I will talk Big 12 ad nauseum, I promise. Uh, But with that, I think that brings us to the conclusion of this episode and the conclusion to episode 10 of this great podcast. Please subscribe on YouTube uh, and subscribe or follow on Spotify, I suppose, uh, and check out, you know, social media and all of that for us. And please watch our content. We really appreciate all the views and interest that we've been getting. We're dedicated to growing the brand over these next couple of years through high school And we will continue to be making these weekly podcasts for you. Well, they may get a little shorter and vary, but we've got some new exciting content coming up. So please stay tuned. We will be playing uh, NCAA 25. And at some point, hopefully we will be giving you live hits from games next season. Uh, But that remains to be seen. But thank you all for watching. And have a great night.